It's Monday night on the fan pregame Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan, Ailish and Justin, pretty quiet weekend. Not much going on. Uh, yeah. Sup, Justin? How are you? I'm okay. I'm, uh, I'm fascinated <laughs> by the latest news. I mean, I'm not going to step on your intro here. No, I mean, no, we, no. we do have to. I wanted to say hello. We do have to set the tone after what was a busy weekend despite... Uh, any claims that it was quiet, but yeah, there's, it just keeps the, the rumblings keep rumbling. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what's up on the show and then we'll tell you the breaking Shohei related news, uh, because you just can't believe it. Uh, we will be, uh, joined by Shai Davidi in about five minutes to talk about Shohei Otani's historic deal with the Dodgers, which we just found out more information about. So we'll start uncovering that and talking about what the Blue Jays will do next, because of course, being the bridesmaid, we are left with nothing. Matt Molson will join us at 6.30, former teammate of John Tavares, who is two points away from 1,000 points and happens to be playing on Long Island tonight. Sounds like my bet Rivers bet. And we'll look backwards um, a little bit with what happened this weekend uh, with Shohei. But in terms of what is new, as of three minutes ago, we were in these chairs when we found this out. Jeff Passan uh, confirming a report from The Athletic that is breaking down what was already known to be an unprecedented deal for Shohei Otani, $700 million, of course. He will be deferring $680 million of that $700 million until the end of this deal. So he will be paid $2 million a year of 70, just two, for the next 10 seasons and will be collecting 680 at the end of the contract. Uh, the structure of the deal was first reported by The Athletic, Multiple people involved have said Otani proposed the structure himself and towards the end of negotiations, he said he wanted to defer his salary. His off-the-field earnings are significant enough to pay for it. That is Jeff Passan. So Shohei Otani will be making the same salary as Callie Yarncroke for the next 10 years and then we'll get what is like a lotto ball deposit in his account in 10 years. I just cannot believe that this this is a real contract that's going to be passed through the CBA. <laughs> yeah, at least we think so. I mean, they might have something to say about it because it is stretching the limits of what should and should be uh, um, appropriate, I guess, for what uh, a contract should look like in Major League Baseball and competitive a balance and all that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we <laughs> joked about how he was going to have to live at or want to live like right at the park and really have no walk from wherever he was going to play baseball or live to where he was going to play baseball. Well, he might have to do that because... In California, taxes mm-hmm. and the amount of money it would it would uh, cost to either pay rent or own a home or whatever it's going to be, yeah, that $2 million is going to dry up pretty quickly. I mean, the Angels really must have scarred him oh, in a way that would make any financial expert shudder, right? Like, this is kind of crazy in a way to put off all that money. I'm sure it will all be guaranteed in the end. We were talking about, like, what happens if there's <laughs> grounds for termination on contract? You're going to put yourself in a position to lose $650 million. I doubt that's the case. But, uh, yeah, he's, I guess, really, really tired of losing. Did not enjoy wow. doing that with the Angels uh, all those years. So Bob Nightingale uh, with a, a further piece of the puzzle to this. Uh, Shohei's decision to earn just $2 million a year certainly is a great benefit to the Dodgers payroll, but it is also a stroke of genius for tax repercussions. If he is not living in California once his deferred payments start, which is the $680 million, mm. he will not be subject to heavy California tax. So now, 10 years down the road, where is Shohei going to get his so, lump sum of money? Oh, this, this has been this whole thing this all along, crazy. right? It's like, what is, it, what is he really prioritizing? Because it's framed as, hey, 
I want the team to be amazing, right? Oh, pay me $2 million, pay everyone else mm. so we can have such a team. But in actuality, it's like, hey, I'm going to move back to Japan real quick after I'm Grab done my, here. My lump and sum. I'm going to get this $680 million in whole rather than cut in half by the state of California. This it is all comes wild. to light eventually. Okay. Um, whoo, joining us right now, Shai Davidi, of course, of Sportsnet. I know you've probably just had a couple minutes like us to look through this uh, massive, massive piece of information about Shoyotani's deferrals of his contract. Um, never seen anything like this before, of course. But what are your thoughts on the way that he's not only allowing the Dodgers the best opportunity to add to their base, but also the tidbit that we just saw that if he's not living in California at the end of this 10-year contract, doesn't have to pay California state tax. So lots to unpack here. Um, your thoughts on the the structure of Shohei Otani's deal. Well, it's interesting on Saturday when, uh, you know, the news broke. Uh, I, like many other reporters, got some information about the, the contract and the, it was about how unprecedented the <laughs> deferrals were and that there were some tax benefits, but it was mostly designed to try and help keep the Dodgers competitive. So unprecedented, <laughs> I thought, okay, maybe half the contract, but the, to this degree, it's, it's really staggering. But, you know, I, I think we have to remember a couple things. One is that this dude really is all about winning. Mm -hmm. And this, depending on how Major League Baseball ends up calculating that salary with that level of deferrals up against the, the competitive uh, balance tax, that'll make a massive difference in what the Dodgers can and can't do in the years ahead. And then the other piece that's, that's worth keeping in mind is that, yes, it looks like, oh, he's only taking $2 million a year. But you have to remember that he is a, a business in and of outside baseball, right? We think about his endorsements and all the other opportunities, sponsorship opportunities that he has. You know, he makes you know a lot of money outside of baseball. And if you think about the way that he entered the game, like he didn't come over on a massive after a big posting fee and after a big bidding war, he came in through the Major League Baseball salary structure was three years pre-arbitration and then three years of arbitration and he hits the open market. So it's not like he struck it rich already. Mm -hmm. He turned down, if he'd waited a little bit longer, he could have come in right away and commanded a big salary right out of the gate and then had another bite at the apple afterwards. So he prioritized coming over to Major League Baseball and acclimating the first time around, getting getting used to the game, setting himself up as a two-way player, uh, and then getting the big contract afterwards. And so... You know, as jarring as this is on first glance, it's not so completely out of character for Otani either. Okay, so what do we know about what the Blue Jays might have had on the table, what their offer would have looked like? Uh, obviously, the structure we probably would not know, but the Blue Jays were there in the end, uh, didn't get the deal across the the finish line there. What do we know about what the Blue Jays had on the table for Shohei Otani? We're going to rely on the reporting of Ben Nicholson-Smith, ben Nicholson -Smith, our colleague. And, you know, he said that the Blue Jays, uh, according to sources, was that the offer was right there. And so I think logically, if you play it out, for there's a barrier to entry to get into this, uh, into the that, that stage of negotiations. So you're going to have to be in and around that area in order to be garnering interest just uh, all the way towards the end. So I think that would make sense. And, you know, if he was willing to go through a deferral structure like this, it does, in a sense, maybe help answer the question of how the Blue Jays would have handled 
the CBT implications of it because you know the Blue Jays went into the CBT for the first time last year. Uh, I believe where they're at right now, I haven't checked it exactly in the last few days, but it's in the neighborhood of two hundred fourteen, fifteen million dollars, something like something in that area. Uh, and so you tack on say say seventy k, uh, seventy million, excuse me, onto that. You know they're pushing right towards the 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 upper, upper uh, CBT level, which would come with a very significant financial hit and also limitations of what they can do in the international and amateur drafts. So the, if there was going to be a creative structure, you know, I wonder to, I wonder looking at it that would have been in play for the Blue Jays would have helped them manage some of the CBT implications and maybe allowed them to be a little bit more creative in and around him this season as well, had that played, had it worked out that way. Okay, so we're 48-plus hours uh, since the decision was made for Shohei, meaning we've had two days plus now for the Blue Jays' front office to sort of digest this and move on. I'm sure picking up the pieces or beginning to pick up the pieces was difficult. Uh, can you, with your conversations that you've had, speak to the spirit of that group and, and what's next here? Well, it really, they were prepared for this, right? You have to understand that this Blue Jays front office it prepares for every eventuality. And so they would have played out this scenario of what they would do if this happened. And so they would shift gears. Now, emotionally, does this feel good? No, it's a huge gut punch for everybody, right? You just think about what an incredible opportunity, what an incredible possibility this is. It's it's really a unique one of a kind you would say almost a one in a century uh, type of opportunity because really to go back to someone who both pitched and hit as effectively as Shohei Otani did, you're almost going back to Babe Ruth. So, you know, I don't think it's hyperbolic to, to frame the opportunity in that way, but there are still avenues by which the Blue Jays can make the, their team better. And it's not like, you know, it's not like there were the San Francisco Giants last year where, Signing Aaron Judge was so crucial for them. You know, they really needed to turn their their franchise around. They were looking for a, an impact player to help pull the team up and get them into back into the postseason. They were they really needed someone to change their fortunes. Whereas the Blue Jays are still in a very good spot. They still have a pitching staff that was one of the best in baseball coming back next year. They still have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette and George Springer. So it's all about augmenting. So I think there's the initial hit of disappointment at how this didn't work out. But then afterwards, the Blue Jays, you know, as they try to be as rational as they can be, that's really a front office ethos for them. It's shifting gears and on to the next. Just because they had, let's say, five to $600 million on the table for Shohei Otani, that does not mean that they have that much to play with, or does it? Or does it mean that that money could go be- towards something like a bow or a Vlad contract extension? Like, how much do you think of that money was just for special circumstance of Shohei, and how much could they be willing to spend in some of these offseason moves? That's a great question. And I can tell you that some agents are already reading it as, hey, the Blue Jays do have money if they're really motivated on uh, doing something. And uh, But I, I, would su- I would suggest that the team answer is this was uh, an amount of money that was for a special opportunity for a special occasion. I think if ultimately you break this down, 
where no matter which team it was, I mean, this is a, you're making this as a business decision, not as a baseball decision when you're get, making this type of investment, right? This is not something that you're just worried about on the field. This is something that you have to leverage in every way possible all across your business. And in some ways, you're almost looking for it to transform your business a little bit because, I mean, Shohei Otani isn't just a baseball player. He's like an ecosystem that you pick up and absorb into your franchise. And so I I think from the Blue Jays' perspective, this will very much be a one-time kind of thing. But don't think that agents around the game haven't noticed that the Blue Jays got to this point in negotiations and are wondering how that may impact their clients. So the clocks on Bo and Vlad seem more important now than they did at least 48 hours ago or plus ago, um, just because it seems like, hey, we've got to improve in the interim here, but we're not going to throw around money willy-nilly, even though we have it for special circumstances like Shohei Otani. So do you see the strategy moving forward here as, hey, can we short-term spend this? Can we build and try to make something happen with this pitching staff, with these two young players who have not hit that Powerball lotto yet, uh, do you see that as, you know, hey, let's see what we can do with this short time period, or are we going to make signings that go well beyond that and sort of blend timelines here? Well, it really comes down to the player, right? The the players that would make sense in terms of this is someone that you want to commit to for an extended period of time there aren't a lot of them on the market. You know, I think Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the the Japanese right-hander who is the apple of many teams' eye right now, I, I mean, he would trend that way. I mean, he's 25, he's at his peak, and uh, or sorry, he's still not at his peak yet. He's going to be entering his peak, and he's already shown a remarkably high ceiling at this point. That's the type of guy who, yeah, you would say, okay, there's a lot of value in that. That really changes the window. And then... Outside of the free agent market, you know, I guess Matt Chapman does a little bit. Cody Bellinger does to to a degree. Uh, but in both those cases, you're probably buying some decline too. So it's a limited period of time that you're buying that extends the window. And, and so if you're really going to do that, it has to be via trade. And that's complicated. The Blue Jays aren't in a situation where their farm system is overrun with talent and have a, a – has a massive surplus that you're like, okay, we can trade from this. So we're going to be okay. So that's a long way to say you're probably going to end up with shorter term types of ads. That's really what it seems most lines up based on what's out there and what's available. But the Blue Jays, if an opportunity does come up, you know, let's say the Yamamoto market doesn't developing quite the the way that it seems to be developing right now and maybe they can get in there and be high bid and they're not pushed aside by the yankees or the mets Uh, or maybe there's another opportunity elsewhere maybe that changes it but as things stand the likeliest scenario that i see right now is that we're looking at more sort of short-term ads uh, aimed at maximizing the, the next two years and sort of punting the bigger picture questions down down the road we're chatting with Shai DVD of Sportsnet. Um, okay, so a lot of people thinking Cody Bellinger, and I know you just mentioned him, would be the next big decision piece or the next pivot piece. I, I mean, a lot of fans are left wanting something impactful, and I think he would be probably at the top of their list. Is there a way that you see that working? Is there something that would be an attractive offer from the Blue Jays? Uh, we did see, you know, a lot of social media buzz around this, and he's a pretty good baseball player that could make this team a little bit better. 
Yeah, I mean, he he absolutely can make this this team better. I think the competition for him will be fierce. And you know, the one thing that I would look at with with Bellinger is that you know last year the Blue Jays did have some interest in him and engaged and. For whatever reason, he ended up it ended up not working out. He joined the Cubs and, and had his rebound season there. Uh, does that mean you know the Blue Jays valued him at, at a certain point, and you know the sides couldn't agree, and and the Cubs valued him a little bit higher, so he went there? Uh, was it that he just preferred the offers were similar, and he chose Chicago for Toronto? I don't know that for certain, but I think that's a piece of context that may be worth keeping in mind because. It it didn't it didn't go that route last year, uh, you know. But he brings the left-handed power piece that this team could really use, and uh, there aren't a lot of great left-handed hitters out there. You know, Jock Peterson's an interesting one, someone who they've pursued in the past. Uh, has that power? Has a little bit of that the the swag that you know? I think that the Blue Jays wouldn't mind adding into their into their mix there. Uh, but you know, I think there's also uh, you look at a JD Martinez, and he br- kind of like Brandon Belt. He brings you some production, but he also brings you some well-respected hitting acumen, and is a guy that can talk hit- hitting with your younger players in between the dugout. He can talk tendencies or what you're thinking in the batter's box in a way that uh, helps the Blue Jays, uh, help, helps the young Blue Jays players. Justin Turner would fit that mold as well. Uh, I think Reese Hoskins is a really intriguing fit for them as a, a potential rebound guy, and the Blue Jays have done well with players like that in, in recent years, Marcus Simeon being one of the more recent examples. So, yeah, I think Cody Bellinger is absolutely a player that fits really well. I, I'm wondering if it might end up being something along the other lines. Coming in second, Shy, assuming the Blue Jays did in the Shohei sweepstakes, uh, is that? Can you take solace in that? With if you're the organization, can you find the positives in that, or does it feed the narrative that's out there that Toronto is lesser than, or the Blue Jays are not a destination for certain free agents? Do you think it or works that this was both good ways? for baseball? That's my favorite one. Or if it's oh, good for baseball, yeah. Mm. That you know, I. <laughs> Let's let's not give that oxygen. It's it's mm-hmm. such an awful take, uh, and 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 really disrespectful to a city that's very good for baseball. And uh, we'll just just leave it at that. I think ultimately, the how you reflect on finishing second. Look, there's there's this there's no you don't get participation ribbons here, right? You know, like uh, you know, great tribe called Quest for Lyric. You can get an E for effort and a T for nice try, but you know, I'm not sure that's doing much for you beyond that. But and, and I don't I think like from a certain vantage point, a, a lot of people in the industry, and I would think a lot of players were like, okay, this is pro- he's probably going to the Dodgers all along, right? And that he ends up with the Dodgers isn't really a surprise that the Blue Jays made it a tough go and made it compelling for him enough to visit the the site in Dunedin. And whether you think that was a stunt or not, you know, there's certainly reasons to, to think it might have been. Uh, there are reasons to think it was genuine. Uh, ultimately, the Blue Jays were right there till the end. And that says, hey, they can make a, a compelling pitch and they can try to force an issue and they can put a scare into the, you know, one of the franchises that has perhaps the most prestige in the game. So that all that, I think there's maybe some sauce. It does little, it's, it's a cold comfort as you proceed through your off season. I don't know that it changes perceptions one way or the other, 
uh, you know, I think ultimately people are going to believe what they're going to believe. Uh, but the Blue Jays have brought very good players here. The Blue Jays have paid players very significant contracts, uh, you know, especially in the last few years, starting with George Springer and Kevin Gosman and, and Chris Bassett. So, I, you know, I don't want to make too much of it one way or the other. Uh, ultimately, I think you, you would rather your franchise try and put a real effort into it as a fan than not want your franchise to or, or prefer that your franchise just sit on the sidelines. You know, there's a risk to that. And, you know, Friday and Saturday really underlined the risk to that, the emotions of it. And, you know, I feel terrible for fans who got taken for a ride in multiple ways uh, on Friday, especially. And, you know, they clearly deserved better. And it's really, you know, that that's part of what bidding for elite players entails, though, is that there are emotions in it. There are ups and downs. And I think the franchise is dealing with that. But in terms of perceptions and is it good, you know, that's, to me, my, my, again, my personal opinion is that I would want a team that I supported trying and failing rather than sitting on the sidelines. But I understand that this is individual and everybody's going to have their own opinion on that. Well, it's like if you believe the old saying, it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved it at all. So that's what we're feeling exactly. that right now in Toronto. Um, Shai, we appreciate you breaking this all down with us. Uh, Blue Jays offseason really just begun. So lots to come, I'm sure, down the road. And we'll, we'll definitely get you on when something happens. So appreciate your time tonight. And uh, we'll chat soon. Yeah, it is essentially a restart on their <laughs> yeah. offseason. So we'll see how it goes. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much, uh, Shai Davidi of Sportsnet, of course. Uh, we're just chatting about the breaking news of Shohei Otani's $700 million contract, which is really only $2 million a year. He's deferring $68 million per season for the next 10 years. He'll get a $680 million check at the end of it all. Um, but a really good point that's brought up here with producer Mike about his endorsements. Uh, Shohei Otani makes $40 million a year in endorsements, more than anybody in the, in the MLB. Uh, Max Scherzer making $2 million. Aaron Judge, who you, or you would think would be very, very marketable is only making four million dollars a year off the field so if you think of 40 million dollars with Shohei in his bank account every year plus two million dollars in salary I think he'll be doing just fine but it is very unprecedented as we keep using that word it's it's outstanding um I don't think we'll ever see something like that again in baseball and Jeff Passan did find the piece of information in the CBA that says Deferred compensation, there shall be no limits on either the amount of deferred compensation. There shall be. There shall be no limitations on either the deferred compensation or the percentage of total compensation attributable. Well, these these are like very law words. Deferred compensation for which a uniform player's contract may provide. Fancy stuff. Yeah, I I think it's pretty obvious that Shohei Otani is going to be fine from a financial perspective, and he's going to be more than fine Mm -hmm. uh, down the line for a financial perspective. And I guess it puts the onus on the Dodgers to build a team, uh, which they Mm -hmm. should have no problem doing. But the Dodgers have never had a problem building a team, and they don't always win. So uh, I don't know if there'll be more Dodger fans outside of Los Angeles because this does seem like it's stretching the limits of what's fair. Uh, but we'll see how it all plays out. Is this still good for baseball? My column. Okay. Um, let's uh, take a look at some action tonight. Time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. Of course, uh, big Monday night hockey. The Toronto Maple Leafs are on Long Island to play the Islanders, the home once of John Tavares, who is now two points away from 1,000 points in his career. And I say he does it tonight. 
John Tavares, two plus points, is plus 230 on Bet Rivers, and it's going to be a fun night full of booze, but maybe some cheers. I'll do the flip side of the revenge angle. Pierre Engvall, anytime goal scorer plus 320. I'm just kidding, but that is out there. No, I'm going to go to the double header for Monday Night Football. Uh, tonight's the night, in my opinion, for Tyreek Hill, who's chasing the first 2K season for a wide receiver in NFL history. Titans have the fifth worst pass defense since October 1st. If he's going to get there, I think he uses this game as an opportunity or the best opportunity to get there. So I'm going to ladder him. We're going to start low, and we're going to go all the way up to over 149 and a half Ooh. plus 255. We're going to play it all the way up. So every check mark, every check point you get to, excuse me, you'll cash a bet. And if he gets to 150, we'll cash them all. All right, that was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. On the other side of the break, we'll ta- chat with Matt Molson, former teammate of John Tavares, on his search for 1,000 points.